folks, welcome back to another episode of Coffee, Tea, and Crime. Today we're going to look at the great bank heist, the United California Bank Burglary. Folks, our story is going to take place in Laguna Niguel, California. The year is 1972. Now this story in this quaint little town in California is going to involve the imprisoned Teamster President Jimmy Hoffa, former President Richard Nixon, $30 million of bribe money placed in the United California Bank there in Laguna Niguel. And the main players in this event, seven fellows from Youngstown, Ohio, who were considered by the FBI to be the best, most prolific burglary crew in the history of the United States. In fact, the FBI would later estimate that prior to the 1972 burglary in California, this crew had committed somewhere around 30 burglaries and made off with $20 million. One agent would say they were the best that ever lived. Youngstown, Ohio. Now it seems that someone called a certain fella, a certain fella that had connections within the mob and within the criminal world. And this call was about a tip. A tip about hitting a bank that had $30 million in money and safety deposit boxes belonging to Richard Nixon, current president of the United States at that time in 1972. And now the money, most of it, came from a lobbyist of the U.S. dairy farmers. They'd had to pay a bribe. President Nixon had lowered the price of milk, which was affected, obviously affecting the dairy farmers. Now, I don't know if all that $30 million was theirs or not. Because there was also Jimmy Hoffa. Now, Hoffa had been convicted and been sent to federal prison. Now, I think he was supposed to do six or eight years. Now, he had paid a bribe to the re-election campaign for President Nixon. So he could get a 
pardon. Well, sure enough, Richard Nixon, he pardoned Jimmy Hoffa. Hoffa gets out after just two or three years. But now the the catch to it was is that Nixon, President Nixon had put in the pardon that Hoffa couldn't be an officer in the Teamsters for I think it was eight years or so. Well now that made Jimmy Hoffa angry. Which leads to the intrigue of who this tipster was. And you have to remember, folks, this tipster's talking about money from the dairy farmers, also known as Richard Nixon's milk money. This was at least a year before it was made public by the media. So somebody had an inside line to this. Some people think it was Hoffa made the call or some of Hoffa's people. Either way, they're saying, hey, $30 million in safety deposit boxes. But now there was a catch to this. The tipster, who's telling our fella, who has all the connections in the underworld, I want my cash up front for this before I give you the address of the bank. Now, nobody knows how much money the big cheese paid for this information. But whatever it was, he paid it. So now, our big cheese underworld guy, he starts getting them a crew together because he wants to take down this $30 million that belongs to President Nixon out in California. So he finds out that it's the United California Bank in Monarch Bay Plaza in Laguna Niguel. Now, that bank was just a rocks throw away from what was termed the Western White House in San Clemente, which was where President Nixon had his home away from home when he wasn't at the White House. Now, for this particular job, the boss man, he mostly hires his family for this one. Some uncles and some brothers, cousins. Now, February 21st, 1972, The Big Cheese takes his wife and his brother, and they fly out to California. They check into a motel, the Jubilee Motel in Linwood, California, because he wants to case that bank and see what it's all about. So they check out, uh, they checked out of the Jubilee, went back home March 8th. So that means he's basically out there a couple of weeks in the bank but he had to be out there he had to figure out what he was going to need to do it now when he returns to Youngstown he hires what some people thought was the best alarm man in the Midwest so he puts him on the payroll and he hires another fella he's an enforcer for the Cleveland mob so now he's got his family members he's got his crew So now they're going to fly back out. So it's March 15, 1972. And five of the men fly out to L.A. from Cleveland. They even use their real name. They don't even try to hide it. They figure ain't nobody going to figure it out one way or the other. So now they get a cab. And they ride out to 9803 San Carlos Avenue in Southgate. That's where some of his family's living. 
Now he tips the driver, the cab driver, $100. Later on, that's going to come back to haunt him down the road. Because cab drivers always remember people that tip $100. So now they're out there and they've got to put together the items they're going to need for this burglary. Because this big cheese criminal from Youngstown, he's got him a list of exactly what he needs. Now the first thing he needs is tools. So he sends one of his fellas out. They get hacksaws, acetylene torches, a motor, drill bits, copper wiring, sledgehammers, flashlights, walkie-talkies, gloves, ski masks, and explosives. Because he's got an explosive guy with him too. And he knows he's going to need some guns. So they get him a machine gun, or a couple, and some shotguns. So now they got their weapons, they got their tools. They get them a police scanner and they buy the crystal to put in the scanner that'll pick up the Orange County Sheriff's Department because that's the jurisdiction that's going to cover where that bank's at. They definitely want somebody listening in on their frequency. Now they need a place to hide out, to lay low when they first get there and then when they decide to leave town but they want to be fairly close to the bank. So they get them a condominium. See, they weren't going on the cheap. They got them a nice condominium. It's the El Niguel Golf Course condominium right there on the golf course. Now they pay rent on that thing for two months, $1,000. That's a lot of money in the 1972. But they're just maybe one or two rock throws away from the bank. And they had to buy them a car, so they get them a 1962 Oldsmobile Super 88 golden bronze hardtop. Now the first thing they do is they tear the trunk floor out of the car and stuff it with all their equipment. And then put the floor back on top of it. Now they were going to do the job on March the 17th. Now they taking all their tools and ropes and explosives and everything, they'd hit them in a, a bush below the hill behind a grocery store near the bank. Figured that'd be a safe place to keep it. It was just right there near the bank. Now unfortunately that their last little trip there to check on everything, they noticed all their tools were missing. Now later on it'd be found out that somebody had found them and turned them into the police. So it's amazing the whole caper didn't get blown up, literally. All right, so they just buy them some more tools. They buy them some more dynamite. They buy the whole shebang. So now they're going to go in. So they got a spotter off a walkie-talkie. Now he's going to sit out and listen to the police band and make sure the sheriff's department doesn't get nosy. Now they get up on the roof of the bank. They stole a ladder from a church, nearby church. And now before they climbed up on top of the roof of the bank, they used some expandable foam, sprayed it into the bank's exterior alarm. Because of course that foam sprayed in there and it gets hard. Well, once it did that, then the clanger on the bell wouldn't, wouldn't work. Now after they did that, then they climbed up on the roof. So now they 
cut them a hole in the roof of the bank and they lowered all the equipment to the top of the bank vault because with the, that section of roof out of the way now they're sitting on top of the bank vault. So they get in there and they drill some holes and in those holes they stick dynamite, stick a dynamite for each hole, blasting cap in it and they've got sandbags full of dirt. They lay a dirt sandbag over each of the pieces of dynamite. That way it'll push the explosion downward and it won't hurt them because now they're pretty close to where they're setting off these charges. But they got their weapons man there so it's all good. So they set off the dynamite, blow them a nice little hole into the vault. Now they have to use a settling torch to cut the rebar out of the way so they can get down into the vault. So this is a Friday night and they're inside. So now they've got till Monday morning to go through the safety deposit boxes. Now there's 500 safety deposit boxes down there. Now according to the resource material they punched out 450 of them. Now according to resource material they were able to get President Nixon's boxes right off the bat. Now, I don't know how they knew which ones were his. Evidently, that tipster must have known. So they popped both of the boxes that supposedly belonged to the president. And then they kept on keeping on. Now, they claimed there wasn't $30 million in there. According to them, they took $12 million for President Nixon's money. And they also got gold coins, jewelry, and bonds from the other safety deposit boxes. Now the authorities were later estimated it was about nine million dollars which is kind of hard to figure because even though they interviewed everybody that had their their safety deposit box hit asked them what they had in it well if any of these people were wanting to claim insurance guess what they're going to claim more than what was in the box so there's no way to know but you figured it was in the millions so figure nine to 12 million. And the bank didn't discover they'd been hit till Monday morning. One, one item of interest, when uh, later on the, all the guys are caught, as they usually are, they were all caught. There was an envelope in one of the safety deposit boxes. And this letter said, open after my death. And inside the envelope was a note. And what it's saying is the writer is begging for forgiveness for killing his brother's wife. So that sounds like an investigation in and of itself. A possible murder has been solved. Now one of the things that led to these guys getting hit on this was the fact they used the same M.O. to hit a bank in Ohio in May of 72. Same thing. They used the liquid styrofoam to shut the alarm down. They cut through the roof, exploded into the vault, all of it. And that's what caught the FBI's attention. And from there, it was all downhill. And they all were eventually caught and arrested and went to prison. 